You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Web Podcast. I'm your host, Rob O'Sell. I'm an architect at this.labs. Today, we're excited to sit down and talk with Willow, aka Ghost, who's one of the founders at Svelte Sirens, open source aficionado, an all-around wonderful person. Willow, how are you doing today? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, it's so funny because uh, we got introduced to you through, um, uh, through sort of a, a friend of the podcast, and uh, they said, you know, you need to meet this person. And so we're having this conversation today, but as, as we, we were preparing and as I was telling you before this, um, you're actually quite known in the Savelt community for being involved with a lot of different things. Um, but we're so glad that we get to introduce you and, and, and get to meet you here on this podcast today. So for those of you that may not already know you, um, can you kind of give a uh, introduction to kind of uh, who you are and maybe your development journey? Yeah, I am. Um, so I do a lot of stuff in the Svelte community. Um, a lot of you from there will, will have seen me in the Discord or on some streams. Um, uh, as mentioned, we founded the Svelte Sirens, um, me, Brittany, and Steph. We wanted to kind of make sure we had a place for inclusivity in the Svelte community, because while we are very on top of making sure the Svelte community is a safe place, we found that in other communities they had specific groups for promoting this and that it was working well and people really enjoyed it. And so that's what something we wanted to replicate. Um, but it also just gave us a great excuse to do lots of streams and really help make content and help grow the Svelte community. Um, I've also done a lot of open source. Um, a lot was felt, not everything was felt. Um, done a lot with Discord and JavaScript in general, really. You know, one of the things that was interesting when we did State of Svelte is, uh, I, I think it was at the end or near the end, somebody went around and asked, how did you get started with Svelte? And I find this to be an interesting question because Svelte has been popular, or I guess it's been around, it's been usable for a long time, longer than most people realize. It's it's so often put with like solid and quick as like one of the newcomers, but it's it was out and becoming popular when you know react was still on the rise and angular was out and Vue was was coming out and things like that so uh people come in at so many different eras in the development of svelte so can you give us a introduction into how you got first introduced to svelte i i actually came in quite late um svelte 3 had been out for a little bit um but i i was getting into web development and I, i'd already had a few years of programming with javascript and I saw a YouTube video by Fireship called What's New in Svelte 3? And I was like, um, at the time, I'd just been like learning jQuery, and um, which sounds a bit weird to say, because it was probably um, 2020 when I was doing this. So it's a bit weird, but I didn't know that this world existed. And then I saw this video and I was blown away by what what I didn't know and what existed and i just had to like jump in and try and learn all of this stuff yeah that's okay so i i do love that introduction to to svelte yeah I, again i think it is 
it's also really funny too, right? When you get into frameworks in general, like I think that's also a fun story to talk about because it's like, it's so happenstance how it happens. It's one of my favorite like icebreakers in like a development interview is to kind of ask people like, hey, you know, you submitted some sample code or said you had some experience with this. Like, how did you get into that framework? Because I think sometimes those stories are often like, they don't really say anything about you necessarily. It's just fun to hear how we bounced around in the ecosystem. Like for me, when I came back to web development, it was like Angular JS was what they used at the at the shop that I went to. And so I learned a bunch of that, which sort of naturally ported me over to Angular and then view um but then for other people it's like you know oh we were java developers and so we naturally took on this piece and uh i do think it's really fun how you know we all come from whatever background we do but then we end up in this crazy web development ecosystem that a lot of us are in uh however we got here right yeah it's really amazing i still i still remember when i was hand minifying css files and this this entire world we're in even though sometimes it might feel a bit chaotic, I feel it's we're in such a good place, and there's so many amazing things. And the the adage that there's a new JavaScript framework every week, while very funny and quite true, it is great because of how many ideas people have. Yeah, and it really makes a difference to how you think. Um, I was having a conversation with a developer recently and he was saying, you know, I just can't get people to believe me when I tell them that SvelteKit is better than everything else. Now, I'm not here to say whether that person is right, wrong or otherwise. What I am saying, though, is in the conversation with that person, what I said is, you know, well, why do you find SvelteKit to be so much better than, say, Remix or, or Next or whatever else? And in the course of that conversation, it was fun because it really was a conversation of personal preference. Uh, well, yeah, of, of, of sort of technical reasons. I think this is a good approach or I think this is very efficient or I think this is the right way to trade off. But it's also very personal. Um, it was a lot of things like, well, for me, that just made it made sense. It followed my mental model or it it did what I expected it to do. And in that conversation with him, I said, you know, I think that's super great that these technologies allow different people from different backgrounds to kind of find the one that matches most naturally with them. Um, but I sort of talked to them about this in the in the context of like React. I know that a lot of people talk about react and it either confuses you or it it makes a lot of intuitive sense i had said it was weird that react was a mental model for me when i first learned it that like really helped everything make sense it felt very debuggable to me it, it's it um it just felt like everything worked but i know other people that are coming at it with a different frame set they said no i just i can never understand what the state is I like the frameworks where you change the variable and the value is just updated. I don't have to worry, is that a re-render? Is it batched? Is it whatever else? Um, and like you said, I think that's, we're in a better situation with, where more people can get involved in web development if, uh, if we have these different frameworks that kind of act in different ways. For sure. We have, um, we have a lot of people when they join the Svelte community that are really confused about when do I use this? Where do I use this? Because if you come from another framework, um, especially where you, you've kind of, especially if you've been using it for a long time, because we we have a lot of people who've been using React for like five years or something, and they want to come and they want to 
look at Svelte and see if it, if something they'd like. Um, it's really, really hard to shift the mental models you've built up over that time. But doing so is so important because also I found that taking a look at things in other frameworks have helped me understand Svelte more because I, re I make connections that I wouldn't have otherwise made. Um, and I think that's really important. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. So how has um, your experience has been with, with SvelteKit so far? So were you building Svelte uh, experiences prior to that? Or were you, have you always kind of built inside of that kind of like beta mode of, of like SvelteKit and everything else? I came into the Svelte community in a really awkward time for making Svelte apps because we had Sapper, but like at that point, everyone had kind of accepted that Sapper isn't it. We're not, uh, I think, I think I came, it was either just before or just after they announced they weren't going to be doing Sapper anymore mm -hmm. um, that I came in. And so it was quite difficult. Um, but I found a project called Routify, which I helped maintain for a, for a long time. Um, and that was kind of my, my first big introduction into open source. Um, I'd kind of done it a little bit before, but I wasn't very good at it. I didn't really care for it necessarily. Um, and then Routify came along and I wanted to really help out. Um, and so, yeah, we, uh, we used Routify for, for a while. And then when Svelte Kit came out, it was kind of like, this is amazing, but what does this mean for Routify? And we were exploring loads of different ways of what is FeltKit missing? And then as it as it went on and on and on, we just started, we, it, something clicked and I realized that FeltKit is gonna be insane. And we, we the expe expectations we had for it were um, coming from like understanding what SAPA was, were completely blown out of the water. Um, honestly, I'm, I am seriously impressed by what, what everyone, has come up with with Svelkit, right? Yeah, I, 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 I struggle because I think a lot of people, um, the discourse kind of online got really kind of low quality really quickly as far as sort of people dancing on the grave of single page applications and uh, the ways that things were kind of being traditionally put together and saying, oh, see, we told you you'd come back one day, but uh, I don't know, I've. I feel like a lot of the people I'm talking to, especially when they're using SvelteKit or things like it, are just, it's just a lot of it's making sense. Like a lot of it just kind of is working the way that you would think it would work. You know, you it, it's, uh, it's letting you be more productive more quickly. It's letting you do things kind of the right, the right way uh, a lot earlier on. I think a lot of things get more natural that way. Um, and for the things that haven't gotten more natural, I feel like a lot of that is because we, we got used to getting away with a lot of bad habits when all of the all the processing and all of the data was client side we could just do a lot of sort of things maybe we never should have done um and i i just i i love having conversations with people or seeing things on twitter when someone's like today i relearned like cookies i was trying to figure out how i was going to get data to the server and then i remembered cookies or like i remembered form actions or you know whatever whatever it is Oh yeah, for sure. We, um, I see a, a lot of people who, who are, who think that just because SvelteKit out of the box, it, it kind of does everything initially is on the server. So 
you get that that server render and then it takes over on the client side and i personally really like that approach but a lot of people think that just because that's the default it's what you have to use for every app which is not the case because you should use the right tool for the job like my 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 website isn't in spotkit it's an astro because i think that's the right tool for the job um and you know spas work great with spotkit static apps work great right um and I think part of the reason that Spotkit is so powerful is it gives you that flexibility with zero effort. <laughs> you have to change like a config line or like put export cons pre-render or something in your in your layout. So <laughs> it's nice and easy. Yeah, I was actually uh watching one of the videos and yeah, I think uh, you and uh, was it, is it Brittany? We're, we're, we're sort of marveling over just having to put like a piece of configuration just sort of in one file and it, it updating things, uh, you know, changing the pre-rendering or not. I think that's super powerful. It's kind of interesting too, because SvelteKit um, is not unique in this, but it kind of, you know, there, for a little while, I remember back in like 2016, 2017, 2018 timeframe, kind of when Ember was still really, really big. I think there was a lot of discussion around like configuration versus um, sort of uh, convention. Uh, and I think that was kind of Ember and other sort of libraries like it had really kind of marveling at, at that convention idea. You know, if you put files kind of in the right place or if you name things the right way, then they'll all sort of be handled. But then we went through that kind of Webpack era where everything was like, no, it's just about deep, you know, deep configuration, letting people just say exactly what they want to have happen and, and then and having full and complete control over it. I think some of that has backed off a little. That's not really a, a, a knock on Webpack or anything like that. But I think you're starting to see a little bit of that with, with Next. And certainly, you know, it's one of the first things I think people notice in Spellkit is like, what are all these plus signs uh, in my file names? Um, what are your thoughts on this idea of convention um, or or does Felkit not really rely on too much of that after all? I think um, I think the, the, the way we have it in Svelkit with all these pluses is, is amazing. We had um, we had a system before which I thought originally I was like, this is great until until they did the plus thing. Um, and I was like, I didn't realize this could get better. Um, having, I think having files in the right place and then being handled is, well, I think it, a big a big part of it for me is I'm really lazy and I just like things to work. And if I can put a file name that makes sense and, and know that Svelkit knows what to do without me having to configure some monolith like configuration file, then I'm all for that. And also the second thing is just not having to have a like a massive configuration file because it gets really unmanageable. Um, I've I've not had I've not had to work in many code bases that have that sort of stuff. The few times um, I found that onboarding was significantly harder and like just even adding new things was significantly harder. Um, but Svelkit does it in a nice way. And the the plus syntax that was added, the the transition period during the Svelkit like pre-releases was really hard. But I think everyone quickly realized that it just makes it it's just far more powerful because it opened up things for opened up things like page.server.ts or um and and like layout.ts that wasn't 
easily doable previously. We had like the double underscore and it felt a bit weird. Um, we had we had the same sort of thing in Rouse Flight, but with one underscore and even then we, it was a bit weird. So yeah, it's, I think it's a, it was a great decision. And I don't know if you agree, but I think one of the funny things with Svelte is that like most of the times when you see something in Svelte and your initial reaction is, ooh, I don't like that. You just need to wait a second and let it like, let the second wave of realization hit you. I think that just happened. I, I know everybody in the Svelte community is so tired of talking about this. I just love the illustrativeness of this scenario, but it was the whole like getting rid of TypeScript thing. And it was like a total sort of misinterpretation of what was going on. And it's one of those things that your, your, you know, your initial reaction is no, how could you? But then you just like hear the explanation for why it is the way that it's gonna be. And you're like, oh, that makes complete sense. <laughs> That's actually a really smart way to do it. And uh, like you were saying with the plus sign, I just, uh, I think that's one of the reasons I enjoy coming back and keeping up with kind of Svelte in general is just the amount of times I'm like, I wouldn't have thought of that. I, that's really elegant. I, I really like that. Yeah. The the TypeScript thing was um, a weird one because I previously have spent a lot of time trying to get people to use TypeScript. Um, yeah. But as someone, I've written a lot of, uh, I've written a lot of like, just code as a developer and I've written a lot of libraries and while I still use TypeScript for my libraries it's such a pain because mm -hmm. all of the build steps all of the undefined behavior that sometimes likes to sneak in it's really difficult and building such a big app like SvelteKit and also iterating on it fast means that it just makes sense sometimes to just use JavaScript and we aren't even losing any of the type safety that TypeScript brings because exactly, yeah. you combine JS stock with a really strict config and .d.ts files. And it's basically TypeScript without all the pain. The only thing you're missing at that point is just the nice syntax. Um, but it's worth sacrificing in order to get SvelteKit done faster and done better. <laughs> Yeah, and that's, you know, again, that's one of those things you get all sort of in arms about it, like, but I, I want that type safety for, for when I use the library. And they're like, yeah, that's what the, the, the docs will do. Um, for a consumer, it will change nothing. Uh, it's all the same. Uh, it's just as the publishers of this, as the, as the maintainers of this, this will be a lot simpler to maintain in Prototype. And you're just, okay. <laughs> you know, you just sort of like you come down from it and, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a good core team. It's a, it's a solid community to kind of build this, uh, these types of, of things up. I think it's a testament to why it's, it's, it's been growing in popularity steadily since it first came out. And I think it's just because when you just do these things that are very sensical, um, even if at first they might be shocking, I think that's just what gets allegiance. That's just why people fall in love with it, I guess, and keep using it. I'm excited for when people start to see that Svelte 4 is probably going to not use TypeScript either. <laughs> it's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what the reaction is. Um, maybe next, uh, Rich will just complete the heel turn and, and say that uh, it's just it just comes with Tailwind on by default, and then and then just all of Twitter oh, no. shut down. No. All right. <laughs> 
I do want to talk about the open source piece that you were just sort of talking about there because um, you know you're mentioning how with TypeScript that can sometimes make open source maintenance and sort of the publishing of those libraries more difficult. I don't know if you saw um, a thread recently from Mark Erickson, who's one of the maintainers of Redux, but he was saying how difficult it's gotten now all the different things, whether it's going to be, you know, CJS or, you know, whatever the f publishing format of the file is and how many different things you have to put into the NPM configurations in order to get the right types of uh, outputs for people that might be using Webpack or the people that are using Vite or whether they're in the browser or whether they're on the server. And um, can you explain a little bit, uh, maybe your experiences in the time that you've been working on open source, just kind of figuring out how to get people this library that you're trying to build for them? Yeah, it's certainly difficult. We have the issues with building, issues with uh, package.json, it's kind of standardized, but then also not at the same time because people like to arbitrarily add their own fields. We've switched how we are supposed to define fields. TypeScript likes to complain in version four with um, nested export paths and types, which which we had a problem with was um, a Svelte package recently, which TypeScript 5 does fix, but TypeScript 5 is only just released and not everyone's using it. Um, uh, yeah, so I think it's slowly getting less painful in a way. Um, if you're just writing, I want to, uh, okay, I want to say simple library, but that doesn't necessarily explain what I mean. SvelteKit is complicated because of all the different technology it combines and how we run it. But if you're just publishing like a database wrapper or something, you might not necessarily run into this problem if it's just a pure TypeScript package because we can use like ESBuild um, and then maybe TSC and it should be fine. Um, and for the most part, you won't run into issues with exports if you just cover all your bases. But a big problem is we have to cover all the bases. Off the top of my head, I can think of maybe six fields you need to fill out, <laughs> some of which are nested. Uh, the documentation isn't always easy. Um, there are some things that really help with this. There's a package by, um, I think Bluey made it, called Pub Publint, where you can uh, run it against your package and it will try and tell you what's not there, what's wrong, and suggest things to you. Um, we use this in SvelteKit package because uh, we the amount of questions we get with packaging issues is unreal. <laughs> um, I, I probably explained how packaging works to uh, a friend of mine six times this year because it's just sometimes it can be really difficult for no reason yeah he was saying too that was you know his argument was that it's like all maintainers go through this um but yet nobody really has a definitive solution he said you know most of the time people are just copying from somebody else that's made it work okay for them and it just sort of you kind of like passing this this sort of bandage together <laughs> stitch together thing between each other uh, trying to add a little bit more on, and then somebody just kind of takes it kind of cargo cult the way it was. And uh, um, it, it is sort of interesting that, I guess, maybe because, almost because it's open source, there just hasn't been a clear, somebody that's been motivated enough to kind of say, like, 
this is the way. But, but then again, maybe it's a foolish dream. Maybe there just isn't. There just is enough different types of technologies that need to be integrated with now that this is kind of the situation we've created for ourselves. A few years back when I was trying to figure out how it all worked before I fully un before I fully understood what even a bundler was, I was just getting into it. Um, and I wanted to publish um, a package for Node. And uh, I was trying to figure out how it, how it worked. So I was looking at repos because I, I was struggling with the documentation. Every single re repo I looked at did it differently. <laughs> and I was like, how am I supposed to, as someone who doesn't, un who doesn't know what's going on at all, really, I just want to put my package on. How am I supposed to do this without like spending out and I my solution was just to spend hours and hours and hours trial and error trying to figure out what worked um and eventually I got there and then years later I I would like to say I understand how it worked but that's that would definitely be a lie <laughs> because I'm still just bandaging together things and slowly piecing the puzzle together um but I hope we get there I think part of it might be when we eventually completely switched to ESM. But and if we can just make our mind up and all of the big projects like the Webpack, if we can just all agree, we'll have a great time eventually. It's just, I think we have to deal with the growing pains that we've put upon ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully more tools like Publint can exist that make yeah. it easier, especially if you if you don't know like the con like there's context you're missing you can you can just you can get your pub package published that would be so much that would be great <laughs> yeah hopefully we don't run afoul of the uh famous xkcd cartoon of sort of you know there are 15 competing standards i'm going to make the one standard to solve it all and then you know fast forward there are now 16 competing standards so so you know, so as I was saying, you know, we, we don't want to get in the way of, of getting more people involved, but, you know, that sort of, I guess, asks the question, which we haven't really talked, touched on, which is how did you get involved kind of in open source software in general? Was it, did it predate all of the Svelte work that you were doing? Like, what was like your first library that you contributed to? Um, It kind of predated Svelte, but I didn't do anything well, I guess, until I got into Svelte, because when I got into Svelte is when I started learning about things that I was that I didn't know about before, like TypeScript or um, how to make npm packages properly. Um, and but I so I think the first package I made was a library for Discord.js. The code is not even on GitHub because I didn't know about it at the time. It's somewhere on npm, and I, I've looked at it a few times over the years, and I am horrified. But uh. Yeah, and I've I've made I made a few little packages back then, um, like a CLI argument parser, um, before I knew that there was about thirty others that existed I could have just used. Um, but... That's part of the fun, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I yeah I, I I probably got into open source I think with with Routify as I mentioned earlier, and Svelte in general because I wanted there was a lot of like felt utilities I wanted to make or like component packages um, that I've, I've made. And I think that's really how I got into it. So when you're, when you're thinking about contributing to a new project, what 
goes into that calculus is it just like is it sheer inspiration do you are are you looking at your kind of portfolio of things that you're contributing to and sort of trying to figure out if you have space or not or you can't help yourself like how do you kind of scout out something new that you might be interested in contributing to um if it's something that exists uh, that i want to contribute to then usually i just, if i love the project then i kind of already get motivation to contribute to it um like with svelte uh i've got i really want to contribute to that more um and there's also projects like astro i'd love to contribute to more if i if i could find the time right um, yeah, exactly just because i think not only is the project awesome but the community and the people involved are awesome um i did a stream with uh fred the creator of astro once and it's still my favorite stream i've ever done just because it was really chill and it was great talking about something that you're both really passionate about um but and if it's a project of mine like the first important question is does it exist already uh because if it if that's a yes then i immediately don't make it <laughs> because <laughs> i'm a big believer in contributing upstream where possible um because we have there is a lot of duplication and mm -hmm. unless you're really adding to it there's no point recreating it like so for example is completely different to most of the things that existed before it so that was an amazing project to create and i'm really glad that they did um but if i if i have like some random like colors package on npm then and i was like oh i want this feature then contributing upstream is great and i think also if you haven't done it before don't be scared there's been a lot of people who've um, who make issues on projects that they could solve, and but they they maybe have some anxiety or some like thoughts about not doing that when getting involved in open source is really fun, and mm -hmm. also I think there's just something nice about seeing your name on the contributors list, um, and I've always got like a smile when I see my name on a, like a contributors list on a project, even if I'm might never look at it again. Um, it's, it's really nice. You know, on behalf of anybody that thinks like me, I'll ask this question, which is to say, what advice or tips do you have when working in a project, um, again, not necessarily creating your own, but, but contributing upstream, I think there's two things that I find difficult, which is sort of being able to sort of easily, uh, grok or read or understand what somebody's doing in their code base so be learning how to read code uh well um but also maybe matching styles i think that's another thing i get really self-conscious about is like okay maybe i know where to make the change but i'm gonna make a real rob change and not like a real svelte core team change like what advice do you have for people that are either self-conscious about that or just have struggle just reading the code to try to understand kind of what it's trying to do or why it's set up the way that it is. I completely get that. Even when I'm touching Svelte code, I completely change how I write it um, because it is so different to how I'm used to writing it. Um, I think the main things are usually there'll probably be a contributing guide or even just a prettier config or something. Um, and that, that's probably the easiest way, but also most people, I'd like to think most people are nice and they aren't going to be upset. And I know for a fact, if, if you, 
made a, a contribution contribution to one of the svelte repos and there was some wasn't necessarily in the same style then they would guide you towards that and help you with it and they'd work with you on it um because even if it take even if you you implemented a feature that they could have done in five minutes and they spend 20 minutes helping you that's still great because hopefully then you'll come back and add value and keep adding value and also just really get involved and that is invaluable for an open source project so no one's gonna turn you away or be nasty uh they're gonna really try and engage with you and help you um and and make you have a great experience yeah i think there's like a humility too that you want to approach as i think that's funny to say humility amongst people that often are feeling the imposter syndrome, like they've, they feel like they're, they're not willing to contribute. But I, I think if you know that you're going to go into it with that humility, it helps a lot, like to say, this was the problem I tried to solve. This is, you know, kind of why and how I thought about solving it. And this is where I landed. I'm willing to take any feedback you have or make any changes. And, you know, it could be maybe if you tried to take a big ticket, maybe ideally don't pick the biggest ticket for your first one. But if you tried to take bite off a little bit more than you can chew, that PR might take a while. I've seen some people's first contributions or, or an early contribution take five, six, seven rounds of feedback and, and advice and sort of counseling with that person to kind of get it get it right. But you're right that it feels really good at the end. And I think I think as open source as an open source maintainer, I, I think that gives you energy. It certainly takes from you. You can't do it for every person in the community, but to have those kind of quality contributions with someone that is being very humble, very willing to learn, very willing to take the feedback that you give, that's a that's an energizing experience uh, for, for a maintainer who, who often is dealing with maybe less savory parts of the internet <laughs> most of the time. Yeah, definitely. We have a lot of um, Svelte core team people and all of them are lovely and happy to help. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, so what, uh, you know, one of the open source libraries that you that you've uh, worked on is this one, is it jelly commands? Is that is that the name of it? Yeah. Um, and that that corresponds to some of your work on discord. So I know that you've put together some different uh, is it Discord bots and sort of utilities that go along with it? Can you kind of explain what what that work is primarily in service of? Is that for the Svelte Discord or wh where are you using that? I do a lot with Discord. It's actually how I got into programming um, is making Discord bots and how I kept programming because I realized I could sell them. Um, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, that kind of kept me around. Um, uh, yeah, I make a lot of Discord bots a lot for random stuff um and we have uh, me and uh, Cirilla make the Svelte Discord bot um which is kind of uh it used to do a lot more before Discord had like forum channels and stuff it like automatically create threads for people who have mm -hmm. questions to keep it organized um it still does some stuff um a lot with a lot of anti-spam is in there I think um because we're such a big discord we we do unfortunately get a lot of people spamming and uh trying to get you to install their crypto malware or something oh goodness yes <laughs> that's right yep apologies to us for trying to exist on the internet yeah um, but yeah exactly but um yeah the we jolly commands itself is 
was my idea for how we can handle Discord slash commands. Um, mm -hmm. For those of you who don't know Discord or or haven't necessarily used it for a long time, um, we have currently in Discord now we have slash commands, which is a really nice UI for commands that bots can use um, and integrate with. Um, I'm not familiar with Slack as too much. I think they have a s similar stuff. Yeah, sim similar in nature, yeah. Yeah, um, but before that, the way that commands worked on Discord bots is literally you'd send a message and the bot would look at that message and try and pass it into a command manually. Ooh, We'd yeah. have the, every single Discord bot starter would be like, if message.content doesn't start with exclamation mark something return because like the prefix might be like exclamation mark or like dash and then you'd have the command name and then arbitrary defined arguments um depending on how the bot wanted to handle it um and then discord was like let's do slash commands these, these sound great um but they are kind of a pain to register and because you have to register uh -huh. them um jelly commands is the initially was like Let's register stuff and make it easy. Um, it's it's got a lot more in that now. Discord have added slowly have added like buttons and modals and select menus and we're trying to cover all bases. Um, and I've been s slowly slowly working on it for like the past year and a half of my spare time. It it's it's honest. I mean, I guess it's really just more my bias. But have you ever taken a hand at like Twitch bots as well? That's another place I know where bots have had a lot of success. Both both for creation and, and sort of selling them as well, but. I haven't, no, I've not not done that sort of thing. No, no, that's okay. I, I, it's just another, it's just another area where it was, it followed a very similar path of, of, uh, of basically just having to token parse. I mean, you get back to, like you said, your CLI parsers, right. Of, uh, uh, is like the core of a lot of these, these older bots, but, um, it is, it is a little bit, uh, surprising that I think there aren't more people building these kind of bots for as much of everything as happens on discord and things of that nature what are like some of the maybe interestingly challenging bits in your experience of building these bots other than the one that you just mentioned which was moving from the parsers to the to uh the sort of registration of the slash commands i think there's a lot of really creative solutions to problems with discord because unlike a website where you can you could i could paint pixels on the screen wherever i feel like discord you are constrained and the solutions that people have come up with um in the past have been really creative i'd love to say that i i was i had done those but i totally just stolen all the people's ideas and uh, and done them myself um because we've we had things there's been i mean especially with what we can do now with buttons and stuff i mean before buttons it actually existed in discord we were just using regular reactions for everything which was really painful but um especially with how discord handles um uh sending out events because of how big servers can get it was so painful um but yeah i mean i can't think of any specific problems off the top of my head because that's interesting i didn't even know that they had developed buttons 
Because yeah, yeah the, some of the servers that I'm in still have the bots that are doing everything off of, you know, react with this to get this access or, you know, react for this if you want to set up reminders or you know, th that kind of that kind of situation. I think a part of us uh, is always going to be uh, always, always want to do reactions. It's just so, something so nice about using that reactions in that way. Um, but no, buttons are amazing, um, especially because with it, it opens you up to new options because previously you had to always be in a WebSocket connection with Discord. Um, but now you, for, not for everything, some things you do, but now a, a lot of things you don't have to be. So I've seen people write Discord bots on like Cloudflare workers, which mm. instantly solves so many problems that we used to have with hosting them. Because as a bot grew, you then have to think about sharding, running multiple instances, running multiple different bots. I don't know if you've ever seen like music bots might have rhythm or rhythm one, rhythm two, rhythm three. It's because we had so many issues with scaling, <laughs> scaling these bots. I mean, some Discord bots had millions and millions of users across like hundreds of thousands of Discord servers at their peak. Um, wow especially music bots which unfortunately don't really exist anymore um because they were definitely not following the youtube terms of service <laughs> well yeah now that eyes are on discord some of the uh wild west uh sort of development of certain things will, will have to go away i suppose for sure we're probably not too far away for ai having the similar revelation um the amount of things that we're able to get away with with ai right now is uh, probably not going to last for too much longer but um well yeah I, I i love what you were saying though about the buttons sort of taking that away so it kind of made you be able to maybe develop bots in some ways more as a push operation more like a maybe like a traditional api type of situation rather than having to be these like perpetually combing sort of like spy little things that are that are looking for their their key phrases and things like that yeah especially with message content um previously especially with the if with the um we had to before slash commands we had to pass every message um now we don't right which is is uh, great for privacy and message message content is now actually a privilege intent what they call it so oh, okay if your bot is in, I think it's a hundred servers or more, I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, you have to be a verified bot. And you, if you want access to message content, you have to apply for it and explain exactly why you want it, which, um, that's great. Not only does it make more people use slash commands, which is brilliant, <laughs> um, because they're just so more accessible. Um, but it makes people feel more safe with discord bots because there is a big issue with trust adding just a random discord bot to your server and you don't know what it's doing necessarily um there's there's countless times i can think of where the developers of a bot have done have been silly or have been malicious and people's servers are gone right um so like that's why the big bots are so big because people trust them the, yeah the proven yeah. track record yeah like dino has been around for so long now that you know there's trust and also discord if something happened discord would come down on them right because they are so big but um these newer bots 
it's harder to necessarily trust them and making making things like message content privileged is a big step in getting people to look at smaller discord bots which helps smaller developers is is there anything that you wish you could do with these discord bots uh that that you're not able to do now that you think would be a pretty big game changer mm. i know that's always tough <laughs> There's nothing, there's nothing trickier as a question than giving you full control over the entire universe. I can't, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Um, there's some really, there is a really thing I am excited for in Discord is, um, I don't know if you've seen activities, but they are, um, when you're in a voice call, we, you can now do activities with your friends. Um, the one I probably use the most is Watch Together, which is basically a shared YouTube instance um and you can like one person is the host but anyone can like suggest videos to add it's great but there's also games um some of which unfortunately are nitro only but um they are working on custom activities so you can make your own and i'm so excited for that because like you can make Ooh. a game in discord you can play with your friends yes which is is gonna be amazing i don't um, know why that didn't immediately occur to me but yeah that that's opens up so much room for so much room for activities yeah that's uh that's such a great especially for a community uh, a community piece um to do even just trivia engagement i mean i guess you could always do trivia bots but i mean like whatever it is yeah anything that you can do to, to tie people together or what you know? What could online events do with this kind of thing? You know, uh, conferences and things. Yeah, that that is exciting. Yeah. It would be amazing. Well, great. Well, I, uh, we are already at the end of our our time here today. Um, but for people that are sort of were interested to hear the things that you're working on, the things that you're interested in, um, can you let people know where they can find you online? Um, you can check out my Twitter at only space ghost or my website ghostdev.xyz i try and blog i'm really bad at doing it consistently but uh hopefully you'll occasionally see something new pop up um and then just join the salt discord and you'll probably see me in there yeah as i said for anybody of our regular listeners that is in the svelte community you're like how could you people not know uh, willow <laughs> uh, or ghost um for all the rest of us it's been a pleasure to get to meet you thank you so much for for thank being here for today and uh as as uh, will mentioned definitely check out the spelt discord which is i mean honestly we've talked about it a lot but we haven't given it as much credit is one of the uh, great communities in the development ecosystem uh online so definitely get involved uh, even if you're not actively using Svelte on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, basis you, you probably will be soon after you spend a little bit of time in there, but uh, um, but definitely look out there. But yeah, that will be it for us today. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this Modern Web podcast. Thank you to our guest, Willow. As always, the conversation does not stop here. As you heard, you can find Willow on Twitter at OnlySpaceGhost. That's O-N-L-Y-S-P-A-C-E-G-H-O-S-T. You can find me online at RoboCell. As for the podcast, you can find us online at moderndotweb.com or on Twitter at modern.web. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Come on. Come on, everybody. This podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot co slash labs for all of your friends and you